Ephesians 4, 17. Hope, uh, we won't get to 24, but I'm going to read it. Um, we stopped a little short earlier. How many of you excited that your glory has been nailed to the cross? I don't know about you, but I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm glad that Christ became sin on my behalf. And God didn't allow me to spend eternity separated from him, paying for my sins. But he allowed Jesus Christ to get on the cross for six hours to do what it would have taken me an eternity to do. To pay for my sins. Amen. And so when we talk about nailing glory to the cross, it's all gone. But the beauty of what we're going to find out today is although your glory gets nailed to the cross, you view glory totally differently when you become a believer. So let's look at chapter 4. Verses 17 to 24, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you may no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But what is, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put, on, uh, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to I tag this text, identity restored. Identity restored. We, we will look through, and we've been going through our, our series through the book of Ephesians. We've been going through Ephesians uh, line upon line, verse by verse, precept upon precept. And we have been seeing, by God's grace, some beautiful things in relation to our identity. And, 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 and the goal of that title isn't to have a man-centered focus on our identity, but to focus on the one who gave us a new identity. And so we get here in this section of the book, and we see that now we're talking about Paul is beginning to drum up what it looks like to actually be renewed by Jesus. We've seen the, the, the function of how the gospel from chapters 1 through 3 transforms us from spiritual death to spiritual life, keeps us intimate, calls us to continue to be transformed. And so now he kind of does an autopsy of the old nature. And then he goes and does an autopsy on the old nature, does an autopsy on you. I don't know if you ever, I, I'm one of them people, I don't, I don't, I don't get, like, sick when I see stuff. Like, my wife got a liver transplant. I'll actually ask the doctors, could I watch it, you know? I wanted to see her just split everything and everything. out. I like, I like that kind of stuff. Um, 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 but I also like shows that show autopsies being done. I don't know why I'm just wild like that. But I, I, I don't have a problem with looking at a dead body um, and looking at it. But I just don't want to be the dead body. Amen. Um, but I, I'm, I'm willing to look at the dead body. So what we begin to see Paul doing is, as he talks, see, he knows that you can't appreciate restoration until you see what it took 
for transformation. And so here in this passage, he begins to do an autopsy, and he talks technically, he talks very, very technically about what we were like, and he'll talk in principle about restoration. Say restoration. Restoration in the Bible is seen in three different ways. There are sub-topics uh, within the framework of each area of restoration. However, Paul talks about, I mean, the Bible talks about three types of uh, uh, restoration. The first type of restoration is called personal uh, re restoration. Say personal restoration. Personal restoration is seen in Psalm 23.3 where he says, you restore my soul. That, that, that talks about the impact and transformation of renewal that comes from being with the shepherd. But then it also talks, the Bible also talks about a second level of restoration, and that's talk about spiritual health restoration. Say spiritual health restoration. That's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, you who are spiritual, restore, if, if a brother is caught in a sin, restore him, you who are spiritual, in a spirit of gentleness. That's talking about um, um, someone who's already a believer, who's caught in a mess that needs help through it, if they're willing to be worked through it. Somebody ought to hear me. But then number three, there's ultimate restoration. Say ultimate restoration. Yeah, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, the disciple says, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, mind your business. He said, it is not for you to know the times and the epochs and seasons which the Father has uh, set up by his own accord. However, he calls them to personal and he calls them uh, 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 to spiritual health restoration. But he says, ultimate restoration <coughs> is the act about which God will restart re uh, everything over all over again. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about the fact that the earth will burn with intense heat. And when the earth burns with intense heat, Revelation 21 says that he saw a new heavens and a new earth. There are the new heavens, plural, and a new earth, singular. There are three heavens that will be recreated, the stratosphere, the, atmosphere, uh, the stratosphere and atmosphere, then the celestial sphere, then even the dwelling place of where God dwells will be totally transformed all over again into a new heaven. But then there will be a new earth, but there won't be a new hell. Hell will remain the same. Um, so God ain't transforming hell. Um, he's going to stay the same, all right? Um, and so, so, so all he's going to do is throw hell into the lake of fire. So that's the only change it's going to take. And it's not going to burn. The lake of fire isn't going to uh, burn up hell. It's going to continue to consume it as those who have rejected or not trusted Jesus spend eternity paying for their sins. Somebody ought to say hallelujah if you're in them. Because I, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to not be a part of God's restoration plan ultimately. But I'm so glad that he looked beyond my faults like the old preacher said and saw my needs. Matter of fact, he didn't look beyond my faults. He looked at him and put him on Jesus. Somebody ought to hear me. And when he put him on Jesus, he dealt with my faults because God isn't a passive God. I wish I had some help in Epiphany today. But he's a God that's a confronter. And the way he confronts is he confronts it head on. And so what's beautiful about this text is he talks about this idea of restoration and renewal, which brings us to our first point. First point of two, only get to through about 10% of the second point. Don't laugh, be quiet. <laughs> only get about 10% of the second point. The first point is the death of an old era. The death of an era. 
Paul says in verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. I like that. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This is powerful. This is, this is off me. Because, because right here he's beginning to talk to them about Christian ethics. Say Christian ethics. Now, we know that, this is beautiful, we know that we're not sanctified by works, but we're, we're sanctified by Christ's work, and we work because his work has already been done for us. And, and However, in that reality, he said in verse 1, he says, walk according to the calling and the manner of the calling with which you've been called. Uh, show God that he didn't save you uh, for nothing. Show that the reality of the fact that he died on the cross for your sins uh, 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 produces functional obedience to the beauty of the gospel. But now he goes back and he kind of rewinds on them a little bit. And he says, he says, now what I want you to do, he says that you must no longer walk. In other words, I want you to shut down your former activities. I, I want you to begin now based on a new identity to function in relation to that identity. It's interesting, no longer walk means God, uh, calling God's people to refuse to submit to the ethics of their pre-salvific construct. That, 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 mean, that means that that no longer counts. You know, it tripped me out when Christians, you better be glad I'm a Christian. If this was three years ago, if this was 20 years ago, I would have, boy, see what you're doing? Is you're, you're, you're announcing to someone that you really want to, I mean, you, you, you want to do something to them. So you're letting them know, you're warning them about your old nature versus walking in your new nature. Somebody ought to hear me. If I was. See, see you was. That's right. So stop. You was. Don't, don't, don't worry about that no more. He says, he says, I don't want you to walk in the futility. He says, I don't want you to no, no, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, you got to understand the idea of Gentiles because it, it's interesting. Um, and, and Paul, of course, is talking about the Gentiles still in the same context of chapter 2, possibly 3, but mainly chapter, through 11 to, chapter 2, 11 through 22, <coughs> where he talks about the Jewish view of the Gentile. The Gentile was viewed as a person or a group of, I mean, not person, but a group of people that were the most loathsome uh, human beings on the planet. In other words, you're not one of us. And so they viewed gen being Gentile, uh, even though God said in uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that the Gentile and the Jew was in the same place. However, he says, I want you to stop walking the way you grew up. I want you to stop walking in the construct of the culture that you were raised in. Now, this doesn't mean that the Christian is anti-culture. This means that the Christian is actually countercultural. Anti-cultural means um, 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 that I'm going to separate from everything that I view as evil if it doesn't have a Christian stamp on it. In other words, I won't buy clothes unless it's a Christian hat. I won't get glasses unless it's a Christian optometrist. I won't go to the store if it's not Christian shoes. Um, as a matter of fact, I won't drive a car unless he already put a fish on it and sprinkle holy water on it. You know what I'm saying? It has the right bumper stickers on it. I mean, everything I have has to be Christian. Well, th th we got to talk about that later, about restoration and redemption. Help us, Lord. Um, but that's not what he's talking about, anti-cultural, becoming monastic in your philosophy of life, where you become a functional monk, separating yourself from society, recognizing that you ain't perfect yet, and you being by yourself or without the stuff you think corrupts you, you corrupting you. Because you there. So 
but everything perfect, but we, you know, we're blind to our own stuff, right? But that's not what he's talking. He's not talking about that. But, but he wants us to be countercultural. Say countercultural. That a countercultural um, is beautiful because it means that we're trendsetters. Now, I'm not talking about your gear being fly. You know what I'm saying? Looking good. You know, you got the best weave. We ain't talking about that, right? We ain't talking about the best shape up. You know, trendsetter, best, but you know, best t-shirt. You know, your best skinny jeans. We ain't talking about that, all right? We, we, talking, we talking about soul gear. Soul gear. When you're countercultural, that means that there's a distinctiveness about you um, 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 that's marked by being identified with the Savior. So when he talks to them about no longer walking as the Gentiles do, he says, I want you to walk among the Gentiles but not walk like the Gentiles. There's a difference. We are to be isolated and insulated. Not, but we're not to be isolated, we're to be insulated. See, isolated means you pull away. But insulated means even though I'm in this mess, um, I can still uh, not be penetrated by the futility of what's out here. I remember when Triple Fat Goose Coats came out. See, I don't know nothing about that. Y'all know nothing about that, that right there. See what I'm saying? And, we, and back in the day, we didn't have butters. We had Super Tams. Y'all don't know nothing about Super Tams. That's a DC thing. You don't know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? Super Tams with the brown Timberlands that came up to here. Y'all don't know nothing about them. There ain't no butters. You stepped on them, they was all right. Butters, you step on them, you got to go buy another pair, right? Somebody said, what are, what are butters? You know? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But when that joke came out, you, you knew triple fat goose mean you had extra protection even though you were out in a harsh weather environment. See, 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 God is calling Christians not to not go out in the weather, but what God is calling you to do is he's laced you with triple fat spiritual goose. So that as you're out in the weather and as you're out in the culture and you're out in hell, you're out in sin, you're out in frustration, that the power of the gospel will still keep you unpenetrated because of the fact that Jesus Christ was dedicated. And so, and so when we talk about this idea of not walking, it's, walking means not just how, how you know, you're doing like this or something. Walking, fam, means the, the posture of your soul based on what's in your soul and how you behave. And we're, we, we don't believe in classical conditioning in Christianity. Classical conditioning means you can help a person to get the right behavior out of them without their heart actually being changed. That's called moralism and pride and self-righteousness. However, God doesn't want you conditioned. He wants you transformed. Because conditioning wears off, transformation just gets better. I'm going to get there. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But, but, but here in the test, he, he's pointing us to this reality. He says, and they, guess what they do? He said, Fam, they walk in the futility of their mind. Futility of mind, right here in this text, means a mind that has no value. State of being without use, emptiness, futility, purposelessness, transitive, uh, 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 transitoriness, I'm sorry, emptiness, empty-minded, lacking truth. Paul further walks through that in Romans chapter 121 when he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, here it is, futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So God's original purpose for the mind and for our understanding was that it would be responsive to him. 
that, that it would be open to him. That, that, that's what the, he created us that way. And so what happened was is because of the fall, that uh, uh, we, 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 we don't have potential anymore. There's nobody that has potential. That's why motivational messages don't work. You just want to motivate people really well and have a good speaker tell you good things about yourself, which is all you're doing is dressing up dirt. You can put cologne on dirt. You can put a nice outfit on dirt. You can put a wig on dirt. You can put teeth on dirt. You can put glasses on dirt. You can put makeup on dirt. But at the end of the day, dirt is still yes. And so God is about real change, right? So, 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 so here he says, guess what else? He says in verse uh, 18, he says, they are darkened in their understanding. Now, darkened in their understanding means that they, 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 they process evil. doesn't mean that they just know information, but they process through evil. Processing here points to the idea of how you work through and think through something. Genesis 6 says, and man, from, from dawn to dusk, um, their mind was on evil continually. In other, in other words, they were innovative in wickedness. He, said, he, says, he says, those who are separated from Jesus are innovative in wickedness. Now, somebody in here is not a Christian and you, or not a believer, and you say, I ain't wicked. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm all right. I don't, I don't shoot anybody. I don't kill anybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't, when I drink, I don't get drunk. You know what I'm saying? I don't do drugs. I go to work on time. I get off on time. I do my work. I mean... I am a good person. Guess what you just did? Sinned. How did you sin? By, by telling yourself that you're good and you're not. Even in the telling of yourself that you're good, you're not good because you're depending on you to say that you're good. And if you're depending on you to say that you're good, that's pride, and that means that you can attain goodness without the one who is truly good. So that, that means reasoning. Your reasoning is all of us were there. All of us are in rehab right now. Right now. Or like flashbacks. Oh, Lord. We, you know what I'm saying? We in rehab. You know what I'm saying? Woo! Had a flashback in the old days. You know what I'm saying? We in rehab. We don't, we don't get prideful about the fact that God has changed us. We worship him and thank him because he's changed us. And so, and so, and so, and so, however, we need God to help us to change our mental processing. Amen, somebody. And so, and so we look like, we look at <coughs> the latter part of this when he goes and he says, alienated from the life of God. This is interesting. <coughs> we were alienated from the life of God. Remember, this is the old era of your life. Alienated from the life of God. It was interesting because it's very, I mean, I don't think I ever thought I would, when I was, when I was not saved, I never thought that I was alienated from the life of God. Because guess what I did? I prayed, you know, I felt something. You know what I'm saying? The trees blew when I said something in a prayer. It's like, wow, wow. I think I was smoking some bad weed at that point, but I was praying. Like, wow, look at the tree. Right? <laughs> I never thought I was alienated from the life of God. Jesus, Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and the spirit. Nicodemus did a scooby. He said, huh? You know, he ain't know what in the world he's talking about, right? And Jesus said, now you a teacher of Israel. 
I mean, you know Tanakh, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know law, you know prophets, you know Navihim, you know writings, you 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 know all of that, right? You got to mostly memorize. But 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 he, but, he, but he said he said, but I am speaking to you, and you don't understand what I'm saying. Jesus basically told Nicodemus, "You're teaching the Bible, but you don't know your Bible." He says, "Because you will remember Ezekiel 36." Where he tells them, I will sprinkle you clean with water. That's what it means to be born of water and the spirit, to be cleansed, which is symbolic of the blood of Christ cleansing you. And then he says, and then guess what he says after that? He says, he says, I will give you a new spirit after I take the old one out. So that's what it means to be born of water and spirit. He said, if you understood the word of God, you would understand what it meant to be born of the water and the spirit. But he had a fleshly understanding of the word of God versus a spiritual understanding of the word of God. And that's what makes even the most religious person uh, defiled. Because religiousness, religiosity, does not make you transformed. And so he says here that darkening and understanding, alienated from the life that God gives. He says because of ignorance that is within them, because of ignorance that is within them due to their hardness of heart. Of course, um, ignorance means lack of information, right? Information, right? Hardness of heart, it means unresponsive to God. You can, that what I like about God is what he does when he transforms us is he doesn't do maintenance to transform us. Because, because this is how dark we were, right? Every last one of us. You know what I'm saying? Let me see if I can make it plain. I, I, you know, one time, my wife and I had a, uh, we missed our 1990 Honda Accord. It was teal green with a tan soft interior, and it, had the, it still had a tape deck in it. You know, I know for some of y'all, it's like an 8-track for y'all, but 8-track, what's an 8-track? All right, anyway, let's just keep it moving, keep it moving. Um, so... So the, the car, I, I, you, know, I, I, you, know, you, you know when something go wrong with the car, and you're like, God, like, please let it just be, like, something simple. Let it be something. This is not a hoopty. I ain't got no car note. Lord, hook me up and sovereignly and providentially anoint the car in Jesus' mighty name and help there to be nothing wrong with it take it in, you know, I'm waiting for the dude to hit me back, you know, he tells me, sorry, buddy, it's a transmission. I say, all right, I, I, mean, I don't, you know, I, I, how much would that be? <laughs> he says, 2,500. I said, what the what? Y'all got to understand, the car was worth less than that, but even though it was a good car. And so he said, he said I can do two things. He said, I can put in a new transmission for $2,500. I said, that's off the table. It's off the table pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. He says, or oh, I can rebuild the transmission. I said, what, is go what goes into rebuilding the transmission? He said, it's probably your tra transmission sensor. He said, so what I have to do is take your transmission out of the car, take the transmission apart, put it back together and re-put in the sensor, but it's all still the same parts and it'll run nicely. So, you know, I'm like, man, how much is that? It was like over $1,000 cheaper. I'm like, oh, you know, that was a no-brainer for us. We got that done. Then about a year later, transmission went out again. In other words, I got a mess rebuilt and it broke down on me again. But what it needed was an overhaul. See, God doesn't do maintenance on your messy heart. 
God isn't rebuilding pieces of stone. We were so utterly lost, lifeless, that God had to remove the transmission out and put a brand new one in. Because it was going to break down all over again, and God knew that. And so our hearts were hardened, and we became, the Bible says, callous without feeling, unresponsive to the living God. He said, and then it says, giving themselves to sensuality and greedy to every kind of practice. This is, this, like, this ain't partially lost. This is very lost, right? This is lost, Right? Sensuality means without law, without submission to any type of authority, because you believe you're the only law. Licentiousness, it means to be licentious is what sensuality means. Sensuality means I'm driven by my personal senses based on what I feel. That's Galatians chapter 5 calls it the deeds of the flesh. One of the deeds of the flesh is sensuality. Sensuality means based on what I feel, that's when I know truth is truth. I was ministering the gospel with a guy a few weeks ago. <coughs> and he, and I, I, said, I, said, I said, we were talking about the word of God. And he said, well, I feel like the word of God contains the word of God, but it's not the word of God. I said, well, how do you feel that? Like, how do, I mean, just tell me what happens. Like, like, I, I, like I, you know, I was loving I was like, tell me, like, how do you feel? He said, well, and I was like, uh-oh, you know, the well piece, right? In, in, in other words, there was a few, like, 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 like when we talk about this, this, this idea of sensuality, it centers itself on what it believes. It's an abandonment of being influenced by anything that has to do with God. I, 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 I plant the root. Then he says, greedy for every type of. He said, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, pointing to the fact that it's, it's unquenchable commitment to sin. In other words, you get more skilled in your ability to sin. You, 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 have, you have multiple cap and gown graduations into deeper levels of sin because the original level of sin that you were committing no longer is sinful enough because it doesn't make you feel at the way it did, and therefore your drug of choice graduates. Every one of us was in that state. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so, and, and so, and so, and so but, but, but what's beautiful about what Paul is saying is this is not the state you're in anymore. This is not your identity anymore. This is not where God wants you to be, where it brings us to our second point, the dawn of a new era. It's the dawn of a new era. We're not left in that state, but we've been restored, he says. And right here in verse <clears throat> Verse 20, it says, but. I like when he does that. Because when you see a but there, that but means that there's a contradiction. It's contradicting. It's going against what went before it. And so right here, he says, he, he, he says something beautiful. He says, but that is not the way you learn Jesus. Stop right there. I wish I had like two more hours just for that statement. Just two hours. Because, the, because he says, there's a pattern to the way Christians are spiritually raised. In other words, in other words, Paul could confidently say, you didn't learn Christ in a way that gives you freedom to wild out. In other words, how much can I do to be a Christian 
and not really submit to being one? How far can I? He said, you didn't learn Christ by measuring good against evil. Like, how, 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 I mean, go to, go to church. Okay, got that. Small group, got that. You know what I'm saying? Share the gospel with some buddies. Good, good. Take communion. Good. Baptism. Good. So that'll keep me a Christian. If I keep these little lists of things, this, this makes sure that I have nearness or vicinity to Christianity so that I can have the life insurance to spend eternity with God even though I don't identify him right now. Identify with him right now. But he said, you didn't learn Christ like this. This is powerful. Because, because, because the way they learned Christ was interesting. When they first went to a place, shared the gospel with people, the apostles, especially Paul, when they went to a place, they wanted to remain most of the time for a minimum of a two to three year period to make sure that the spiritual vitality of those Christians were stabilized because it takes about three years for a Christian, if going on a great trajectory of commitment to Jesus Christ to have basic functional spiritual maturity. So, so what happens is if you've been a Christian for three years, it got real quiet. If you've been a Christian for three years and you still not a spiritual grown-up, there's a problem with that. How did they learn Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says something interesting. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom, but I came to you with the spirit of God and in power. Um, for I consider myself to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, so that your faith will not depend on the words of men, but on the power of God. One of the first things he came in and said, he started preaching at that cross. He was trying to make a beeline to the cross. He was trying to make sure that they understood the cross. The cross is not just a good song. The cross is not just something to weep over at a point in worship. The cross is the central and pointed purpose of everything that the Christian is, that the Christian does, and the Christian will be. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, he said, this I delivered you of first importance, that Christ died on the cross, and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. So when Paul came in, he made sure he not only laid a foundation of the cross, a foundation of the resurrection, um, a foundation of the gospel, a foundation of Christ, but he wanted to make sure in doing that, that it permeated every single area of their life to the point when he wrote to the Romans that he'd never been to. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he, he tells Christians, he says, I long to come preach the gospel to you. In Romans 16, uh, Romans 16, 25, he says, I pray that you would be established according to the preaching of my gospel. In other words, so, so, so he wanted to lay a fat and, 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 and beefy foundation uh, 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 for the gospel, but wanted it to permeate every area of their life. Then the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. He talks about the way they learned Christ. Talks about what he took them through. See, most of us, you know, we only want to get a word. I want to, is, is there a word from the Lord? Um, you know, I just want to know what God is saying to me. God is speaking to you more than for a week. I'm coming to church so I can get me a word for the week. I got to get through the week because I'm not going to spend time with God. So I need the message to hold me over to the next Sunday because my relationship is just based on Sunday morning, but not my whole life. So he says, the first thing we teach you after the gospel and in the framework of the gospel, Hebrews 6, 1, he says, repentance from dead works. In other words, selfish acts don't count anymore. 
Never did. Then it says faith towards God about baptisms. Then he says uh, uh, the imminent return of Christ. Then he teaches them that hell is real. That helps stabilize Christians. Then the Gentiles, they went a step further, like Pastor Blake said. In Acts chapter 15, they told them to reject idols, number one. Number two, reject allowing your ethnicity to be the center of your identity. <laughs> Don't let your sociology influence your theology. Wish I had some help. Then he went from there and said, and also, what's, these are basic Bible doctrines. Everybody want to know about what's the difference, what, what, how do we reconcile, you know, predestination with free will. That wasn't a basic Bible doctrine. The other basic Bible doctrine was stop having sex outside of God's means of influence. Because he said it was an essential thing. So these are biblical essentials. Now, these are the first teachings, right, that people learn. He said you learn Christ in a particular way. That means that you have to be open to putting Christ on the page of your life more than just spiritual eventism. Paul, Paul over, Paul over in, um, it's beautiful, over in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 18, he does something powerful. Acts chapter 18, I'm oh sorry, 19, he says, verse 8 through 10, It says, and he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This is how they heard about Christ. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now listen to what he did. This he continued for two years, so that the rest of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 17 of the same chapter. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And look what he says over in chapter 20, verse 20. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. He was teaching them, and they were opening themselves up uh, um, um, to the, this is the way they learned Christ. He says, stop acting like we didn't teach you nothing. This is not the way you learn. He said, if you heard about him, he's being facetious right here. He said, have you heard about him or, 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 or were taught in him? Have you, have you, have you heard about him or, or if you were taught in him? Then he moves further and he says, as the truth, he says, as the truth is in Jesus. It's interesting that when it talks about as the truth is in Jesus, it's interesting here, it's not just about Jesus Christ being the truth, but it's also about him being the embodiment of truth. He's perfect truth. He's not deceitful. So God doesn't deceive in Christ. He gives clarity, and he's the realest of real. You know, I, I, you know, I, 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 you know every now and then I'll peer into one of those uh, reality shows. A couple of them are just funny to me. Um, the real world. Now, I, I'm blown away that 
They can put cameras everywhere, in the living room, the kitchen, the dining room, the bathroom, the bedroom, the garage, and people are just hook up on TV for everybody to see. And then we got this culture of now of people doing sex tapes to get popular and putting it on YouTube, and that makes you popular. Truth is found in Jesus. So, so then I see another show called Basketball Wives. So, so I, we, we peer in, look, look, look at a couple of episodes, and I'm trying to find out where are the wives. Um, I, I looked at the jaw, and either people are divorced, engaged, or going through a divorce. Now, I'm not dogging nobody. I'm just saying that's supposed to be real. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, what are we viewing a wife as, right? You know what I'm saying? So, but the, what's interesting about... What's interesting about the, 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 um, the show is that everybody's identity is wrapped up in the fact that they are in the vicinity of a basketball player or NBA star. And, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I pray that we don't begin to find our identity in anything else. Your soul has been restored. So you're not trying to find identity. You're not looking for identity. If you're going to get married to get an I try to get your identity out of marriage, you're coming to the wrong place to try to get married. If you think your identity is going to be in your career, everything in your life that's not Jesus, that you're trying to find your identity in, is only maintenance that's going to break down. You're going to have to find your identity in the truthfulness of who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus is the only one that can give you real and authentic identity. Not to exalt you, but to exalt him. See, when you trusted Christ, your affections were changed. You're messed up forever in a good way. You're messed up forever in a good way. Because God has rigged your soul to break down when you don't find your definition in him. See, see, I, let, me, let me see if I can make it plain. Y'all think I'm, see, um... See, what, what God, what, I don't know, I remember I, I was driving, and my car started overheating. And it always does it, like, at the wrong place. It starts steaming. Oh, I said, oh, my goodness. And then it just, and I'm just sitting there on the side of the road just looking at it. Then I got to wait till it cools down, then open the thing up, because if you open it up, it go cacao and tear your face up, Right? See, God has rigged our lives to break down at the most inconvenient time so we could turn to him. He, he, didn't, he didn't build you to find your identity in anything else. God, God wants you to find your identity in him. He loves you enough to not let you get away with finding your identity in anything, anything else or any place. Because one of the first commandments is that he's a jealous God. You shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. See, getting a new identity, when we talk about purpose... That's why we don't talk about purpose here in the sense of it's centralizing on you. Because when you talk about purpose that centralizes on what you're going to get from God or a season that God is going to put you in, you make that your God, not God your God. So, so what we'll shout about is where God's going to give, get us to and the blessings that's going to come about being there versus the, worshiping the one who's taking us there. And so biblical, I'm trying to, because biblical, don't try to find your identity in no one else, no other place, and no other thing. 
Because only the Lord Jesus Christ can be the true transformer of our souls. And that's going to be necessary no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. There's nothing else in your life that's able to satisfy you beyond the fact that the text says, as truth is in Jesus. It means true authentic life, true truth is only found in Jesus. Nowhere else. And so if you're going to have real authentic life, you're going to have to repent of your sin and turn towards the one who, who can be life for you. I pray today, I pray today, as we bring this to a close, that you would see your significance. Stop searching for significance and see significance only found in the significance of Christ's finished work on the cross. God has restored the identity of the believer. He didn't rehab your identity. He didn't gut you and just re... No, he rehabbed your identity with a brand spanking new identity. And so our prayer is that like John says in John 1, he said, the true light which enlightens everyone, which comes into the world, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. If you're not here and you're not born again, we pray that you would, you would, you would trust in Christ alone for salvation, that you would repent and turn towards him for salvation. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, and God poured out the anger that we deserve on Jesus. When you trust in him by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, God transforms you, and he will renovate you from the inside out. And if you're a believer, don't trust in anything else to continue your renovation process. We'll talk about it in part two next week. Father, we honor you. Bless you that you are the redeemer and the restorer of our souls. Um, you are the restorer of our souls. And so we thank you. We thank you that um, we don't have to seek identity in anyone, any place, or anything else except for you. So God, help us to find ourselves in you, as Paul said, and help us to get lost. Help us to lose our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.